Okay, um, turn in your uh, in your Bibles to. Uh, I, I want to um, guide you through Revelation 19, 20, 21, and twenty-two. I don't know if I can do it in one day. We'll see. Um, so, rem so remember how uh, the, the structure of, of the Book of Revelation goes. We're in the Book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible, and so if if we're starting at the end, that's not a good place to start. So if this doesn't make a lot of sense to you, um, I was talking with one of our other professors who he's written a whole bunch in Revelation. And so I'll, uh, he's in the office next to me at the seminary. And so I was asking him about uh, how he understands this, that, and the other thing. And he didn't know. You know. Well, he was like, well, I don't know. There's problems with those views. And so I don't know. So. So it's not like people who've studied this their whole life have this exactly figured out 100%. Does that make sense? So, so where do we go to find the answers? Well, you turn left. You, you, you keep going back and you keep searching the scriptures. You keep searching earlier in the story. Uh, and the more that you understand earlier, the more you will understand later in the story. Does that make sense? So, um, so we want to get you at least understanding how the story <clears throat> ends. Um, but, we're, we, but we are doing this study. We're at the end of the story, and there's 60, 65 books that precede this one that really help you understand what's going on in, in this one, okay? If you picked up any book and started in the last chapter and you read for a little bit, you'd go, boy, this is hard to understand. Well, no kidding, because that's not where you're supposed to start. Start at the beginning, but we're doing it at the end, okay? Um, remember the book of Revelation. So every book that you pick up, every every book in the Bible that you read, there are going to be two um, parts, two things that are going on at once. Uh, there are 66 books. They are, there are individual authors who are telling their part of the story in a certain way. So they'll use certain language uh, or certain structure that's unique to them. Okay. Uh, and so you'll have to recognize how they're telling their part of the story. Are you, are you with me? Um, they will also use language that is used throughout the whole story. Okay? So you've got to recognize both. How, for example, Luke is telling his, his part of the story to Theophilus uh, in two parts. <clears throat> um, Luke and Theophilus. Uh, this weekend, I'm, uh, or Luke and Acts. This weekend, I'm going to, um, next weekend, next, whatever, this coming weekend, I'll be teaching Bible study methods in um, uh, in Atlanta, unless that storm goes there, and then I don't, then I don't know where, <laughs> how we're going to pull that off. But, <clears throat> but, um, but one of the things we have the students do is look at Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And you've probably heard this verse used a bunch. Uh, and so people will say, you know, Brenham is your, you know, is your Jerusalem. And, it, you know, no, it's not. It's not. We're in the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay. Uh, and the, uh, you will be my witnesses. Um, if you read a little later in that chapter, uh, chapter one, the book of Acts, um, Luke explains what is meant by witness. It, they're going to choose 
Remember, there are 11 apostles now, 11 disciples. They're going to choose the 12. Do you, do you remember what the qualifications were for this one to be chose, chosen to be a witness? He had to be there from the beginning, from Christ's back all the way until his death, burial, and resurrection. All right? They had to be eyewitnesses. And so that's the structure that Luke is working with from Luke chapter 1. Just as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, Luke talking about Luke and Paul and Timothy and Luke and Paul and Barnabas. And none of those guys are in the gospel of Luke. Just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning handed them down to us. It's been fitting for me as well, having investigated everything from the beginning, to write them out to you in consecutive order or in an orderly account. And so Luke is going to explain his orderly account. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, we think consecutive order, that's how it's translated, but it's, it's really an orderly account. So we would think that this would be a chronological account, but it's not. Okay? It's orderly, but it's not chronological. So Luke begins with the birth announcement of John the Baptist, and then uh, the birth announcement of Jesus, and then the birth of John the Baptist, and then the birth of Jesus, and then the ministry of John the Baptist, and then the ministry of Jesus. Where does John the Baptist's ministry end? Anything else? <laughs> yeah, when he loses his head. There you go. Yeah, yeah. He gets beheaded. That's the end of his ministry. He's in prison at the end of his ministry, right? Uh, and so, uh, so Luke tells that story. Then in the next verse, so so John is in prison. In the next verse, when did Jesus begin his ministry? At his baptism. So the next verse is his baptism. Wait a second. I thought John the Baptist baptized Jesus. How does John the Baptist baptize Jesus if in the previous verse he's in prison, but now he's baptizing Jesus? Consecutive order. Baptism, uh, you know, birth, you know, birth announcement, birth announcement, birth, birth, ministry. This is the structure that Luke uses. Does that make sense? Luke's structure begins in the wilderness and it heads towards Jerusalem. Gospel of Luke. Uh, the book of Acts begins in Jerusalem and heads towards the ends of the earth and, and, and goes back to so, so this is how an author tells his part of the story but throughout his story he's got things that relate to the story more broadly does it make sense everybody tracking uh, John is the same way okay? um, John in the book of Revelation he writes in chapter 1 he is told to write 119 write the things that have seen the things which are, and the will of things which will take place after these things. That after these things, language is all throughout the Old Testament. Okay? After those days, that type of thing. So in 1, 1 through 18, he writes the things that he has seen. In chapters 2 and chapter 3, he writes the things that are. And in chapters 4 and through 22, he writes the things which shall take place after these things. That makes sense? Pretty straightforward. Okay. Uh, 4 through 10, he, he walks the reader through the 70th week of Daniel, the 70th seven-year series, uh, seven-year sequence that is introduced in Daniel. You have to know all this stuff before you get to Revelation. This was back in chapter, well, it depends on <laughs> um, if you're in English. Anyway, it's earlier in the book, in the Bible. Okay. Um, so the, the, the 70th week, the, the Great Tribulation, it's called. Um, this is what uh, 
John walks the reader through the first pass from verses from chapters four through chapters ten. Okay, at the end of chapter ten, he's told to go back and prophesy again. He's going to take another pass through the seventieth week, and then the last uh, uh, that's going to take you through chapter uh, chapter sixteen, and then chapters seventeen and eighteen is more information: first half, second half, and then you get to chapter nineteen. Each of those passes, each of those uh, four through ten, it leads you up to the return of Christ. And then it goes back and he tells the story, leads you up to the return of Christ, leads you back, uh, goes back through, leads you to the return of Christ. Chapter 19 is the return of Christ. Okay? <clears throat> now, okay, we good with that? Everybody make, is everybody tracking so far? It, uh, um, if this isn't clear to you, ask. I promise you, you're not the only one. It's probably a failure to communicate, which is, <laughs> that's okay. Okay. So, uh, so if, if this isn't making sense to you, ask. You're not the only one, uh, I'm sure. Uh, you're just the only one brave enough to ask. So I want you to ask questions. Um, good, go. So you're saying the first pass, are you equating that with the first three and a half years? The first seven years. The first, uh, uh, so, so, okay, good. So, so remember, uh, the 70th week, uh, none of this is introduced in uh, the book of Revelation. It is assumed by the book of Revelation. It begins with the, uh, the firm covenant. Uh, this is um, found in Daniel chapter 9. It's going to be referred to in, uh, I think this is what Paul is referring to in 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, begins with the 70th and 7 begins with a firm covenant. It's, it's called apostasy. Um, apostasy uh, uh, is throughout the, the Old Testament scriptures. Jeremiah talks about the one who is always doing the apostasy is Israel. Uh, reject the Lord after God's information. The ultimate apostasy, the, the supreme apostasy, would be uh, Israel joining in with Christ, with Christ in covenant, making a pact with Antichrist. That's what's going to begin. This uh, this is a seven-year period. There, uh, it talks about a beginning point, a middle point, and an end, and then. Uh, and so that's about all you know in Scripture up until the book of Revelation. You know what's going to happen, but you don't know the details. John is fleshing out the details for you. Okay? Arm covenant. Uh, then in the middle is uh, what, what is called the abomination of desolation. What is that? Uh, this is where Antichrist enters into the temple, declares himself to be God, uh, and uh, and let the reader understand that's when Israel flees into the world. Okay? And then uh, the return of Christ, the actual uh, return of Christ. Okay? His feet uh, touch down Mount of Olives. Uh, he wipes out uh, all who oppose him. Uh, there are, this is a little more detailed than we're, we're there are 45 days here. Um, uh, of apparently what's going on during those 45 days is kingdom administration setting up the kingdom. Um, um, you know, who's going to do what? 
And then there is this 1,000 year reign of Christ. Okay. During uh, this is uh, going to be chapter 20. Okay. So so now we've we've gone through this this section of the seven years. Uh, there are three three parts: chapters four through chapters ten, chapters eleven through sixteen, seventeen and eighteen. All deals with this seventieth week, seventieth seven. They all take you up to the return of Christ. Then they go back and give you more detail. Go back and give you more detail. Now we're going to talk about what happens at the return of Christ. Now we have a lot, a lot of detail about this. Boatloads of all throughout the scriptures, particularly throughout the prophets. Okay? Uh, and so we're going to talk about the return of Christ. Then uh, this uh, millennial reign of Christ. Uh, Satan is bound during this uh, thousand-year reign of Christ, released for a time, ultimately destroyed, uh, and then the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? Now, um, way back here, we have the, 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 uh, the cross, Christ's ascension. Is he's seated at the right hand of the Father until he returns. Okay? So, and the rapture happens before Israel makes a peace treaty. We'll, we, you know, we'll talk about uh, the rapture at some point in here. Okay? Uh, let me use a different color. Uh, rapture um, uh, um, uh, yeah um, rapture uh, rapture comes uh, every these are uh, all components of what we eschatology what we call the the, the study of end times okay uh, ology is study of eschaton study of eschaton eschaton Every uh, understanding of scripture has a rapture. Right? It's not that whether or not the rapture will happen, it is when. What's the timing of it? Okay, and there are different views on that. We'll talk about that. Um, every uh, view has a millennial, has a kingdom. Okay? If you've heard of amillennialism, if you haven't, that's okay. If you have, uh, all means non. There is no millennial reign of Christ. Um, we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk about that. But I've got to get you introduced to the categories and then tell you why. Um, why the church believes such things and why um, those things don't align with with Scripture or how they. Okay? The word rapture comes from. Uh, it's in First Thessalonians chapter four. 11. That doesn't sound right. Um, the word is uh, caught up uh, in the uh, uh, um, means caught up, and that's how it's translated. Well, why do they call it the rapture? Because when, when the uh, Greek text was translated into the Latin, the word in Latin is rapture. Okay, rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4. four Chapter 417, that sounds right. 417. Where did I get 11? Oh, that's my other verse in there. Make it your life's ambition to live quite well. I like that verse. 
Make it your life's ambition to lead a quiet life and work with your hands. See, that means I can go to my ranch and you people just leave me alone. It's <laughs> my life verse. Yeah, pan millennialism says it'll all pan out in the end. And I'm going, then why are we spending so much time writing about it, right? Okay. Um, so, so, so the rapture is going to occur at some time. Okay. Let's let's just leave that alone. What the rapture is. The rapture is where where believers are are caught up with the Lord. Yeah, we're living at the time. Yes, uh, and uh, we'll return with Christ. Uh, some hold that it that it, uh, and I would hold this that it happens before the seventieth week. Some hold that it happens mid trib point, mid trib rapture, and some uh, that it happens right at the end. Some are going to say that the 70th week of Daniel is not a literal seven years, uh, nor is the thousand year reign of Christ. But I don't want to confuse you with all that. I just want to get you introduced to the detail. Then we will go back and I'll, you know, uh, and we'll, we'll flesh this out and you'll, you know, there's a lot of uh, reasons why the different denominations have held the different views. And so I want to just work through do it first, and then we'll we'll go back. We'll circle back around. Okay. All right. So this book four through ten is going to walk you through the seal judgments are here. Uh, the uh, trumpets are here. Trumpets and then the bowls are right here at the end. Right. Uh, so the seals, the trumpets, the bowls lead you right up to the return of Christ. So uh, chapters, when you're thinking about Revelation, think 4 through 18 is the 70th week. 19 is the return of Christ. 20, millennial uh, kingdom. 21 and 22, the new heavens and new earth. Okay. Good? Okay. Turn. Uh, last week we did a lot of uh, looking at the imagery that is uh, involved, or the language that is involved. Um, turn to... Uh, turn to Revelation chapter uh, 11. I'm sorry, chapter 9. Try this again. Turn to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I have 9s and 11s. I just want to put them together right. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Okay. I saw the heavens open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon him is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head many diadems, and a name written upon himself which no one, no one knows except himself. He, had a, he uh, is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, following him uh, in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Uh, just parenthetical statement in chapters two and three, the letters to the seven churches. This is where the white linen imagery is in the book. Chapters two and three, the, those who are clothed in white are uh, told that if they endure, they will be given uh, white robes. Okay? In chapters four through chapters 18, they're in heaven. 
and so uh, so so here they're on earth they're raptured now these ones in white robes are in heaven and now they're returning with Christ okay. part of why I think the rapture is back here um, from his mouth comes a sword wow. that he might smite the nations rule them with a rod of iron he treads the wine okay let's go back to Old Testament passages Let's, let's build all of these Old Testament passages that John is putting together. Okay. Turn back to, uh, let's start with Psalm, Psalm 2. Let's not, let's not, let's start with Psalm 110. Turn to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Uh, this is the psalm that the writer of Hebrews Builds his argument around. Okay. Um, uh, you'll notice uh, this is a psalm of David. Okay. The Lord said to my Lord. Everybody see this? The Lord said to my Lord. You'll notice that the Lord is in all capitals. My Lord is capital L, little O R D. Are you with me? Okay. Um, we've talked about this before, but. Uh, for those of you who are new or don't remember or missed that Sunday, let me explain what's going on. Uh, the, the Lord, when when the text translates it as uh, as Lord, all caps, uh, it is translating the word Yahweh. Okay, the name Yahweh. It's like this in Hebrew, Yahweh. Um, capital L, little O R D. It's translating Adon. Right. It's like this in Hebrew. Adon. Uh, you know Adonai. Yeah. Adonai, A-I, uh, that is our Lord. Adoni, which is just an I, would be my Lord. And Adon is Lord. Okay? So the Lord said to my Lord. This is David talking. Who is David's Lord? Who's greater than David? The only one that is greater than David, other than the Lord, is the Lord that comes forth from David. To be Lord over David. Does that make sense? So the Lord said to my Lord. Uh, the Father says to the Son. Okay. The writer of Hebrews is going to explain this very quickly. The Father says to the Son. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Okay. Uh, the word for a footstool um, is uh, it's actually used all the way back in Genesis chapter one uh, when Adam is uh, commanded to rule, to have dominion, uh, to tread down. Uh, Abraham is told everywhere that his foot treads, he will have dominion over. This this is the word, right? Um, uh, footstool to rule, to have dominion. These things ought to go together. Uh, the Father says to the Son, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The writer of uh, Hebrews ex explains that uh, the priest, for uh, you are a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Um, we're going to get to that in Psalm 110. Uh, that in the Old Testament, the high priest's work was never done. It was continual sacrifices, continual offering up of prayers. The work that he never set down. In uh, 
in someone who never sat. His work was never done. He never rested. But this one has made the once for all sacrifice for sin. He has ascended to the Father and has taken his seat. There is no more sacrifices that have to be made, no more sacrifices that have to be given, and we wait until he makes uh, his enemies, the Father makes the Son's enemies a footstool for his feet. We are in the until time. Who do we see ruling now? Who's running the world now? Satan. Satan. Um, whether it's Trump or Biden, it's Satan. I'm not calling them both Satan, but I'm saying the world is being run. Uh, the enemies of God have not been put under the footstool of Christ yet, but they will. Are you ready? So the Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your scepter. Whose scepter? They live, they live on that road. They live just off that road. Remember? Whose scepter will be stretched forth? The Lord, is that all caps, will stretch forth your scepter. Christ's scepter uh, from, uh, from Satan. I'm sorry. Uh, the Lord will stretch forth your uh, a scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will freely, freely volunteer in your day of power in holy array. From the womb of the dawn, uh, your youth are to you as they do. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, who's the you, are a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, who's Melchizedek? He was a priest way back in the Old Testament. In, in Genesis chapter 14, right? So you got to know the beginning of the story to understand the middle of the story so that you can understand the end of the story. Okay? Uh, Melchizedek. Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Uh, Melech is king. Uh, Melchi is, is uh, king of. Zedek is righteousness. Zedekiah, right? righteousness of the Lord. Right? Uh, all of the names in the Old Testament, they all have significant meaning. Um, he is the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. King of Salem, king of Shalom. Okay? Uh, the king uh, who rules in Jerusalem. So he, he is this king of priests. Uh, this king priest, uh, uh, king of Salem. Yeah. King, uh, he is this king priest. Okay. Um, now, in the Old Testament, uh, did they have priests? They were all according to whose lineage? Yeah, they were all descendants of Levi, the descendants mm -hmm. of of Aaron. Yes. Right. Um, is Christ a descendant of Aaron? No, he's not. Okay? He is a descendant of Judah. So the writer of Hebrews is going to say in chapter 8 that if Christ were on earth, he would be no priest at all since there are those who you know, perform this function on earth. But he ascends to the right hand where he does this priestly function, not in the tabernacle made by hands, but in the one made by God. He is operating as our high priest in heaven, and he is returned. 
Does that make sense? Keep reading. The Lord, notice that's capital L, little O-R-D, is at your right hand. Okay, now who's who's the capital L, little O-R-D? Christ is at your right hand. At whose right hand? At the Father's right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. Christ is going to shatter the kings in his day of wrath. He will judge among the nations. Now, you're going to have to lose your Christian understanding of Christ. And you're going to have to balance your Christian understanding of Christ with a biblical understanding of Christ. Or a Jewish understanding of Christ. Um, when we hear Jesus, we think suffering servant, uh, lamb led to slaughter. Um, while being accused, he offered no response. Meek and mild, um, turn the other cheek, Jesus. That's not the whole story. That was his, uh, his first advent, her, his first coming. He came as a lamb to die for sin. When he returns, he's not returning as a lamb. He's going to wipe them out. All who oppose him will die. Uh, and so you've got to have both understand. Still Yes. Yes. Stand back. Son, kill them all. You see this in Psalm 2. See this in Psalm 2. We'll go there next. He will shatter kings in his day of wrath. He will judge the nations. He will fill them with corpses. Is that how you think of Jesus? He will shatter chief men over the broad country, and he will drink from the brook of the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Turn to Psalm 2. Go back to Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and counsel together against the Lord. Who's that? And against his... Uh, anointed one? If you were reading the Hebrew text, you would read that word as Messiah. If you were reading the Greek uh, Septuagint, Old Testament translation of the Hebrew in the Greek, that would be Christos, Christ. This is what Messiah or Christ means. Uh, Mashiach means to anoint, to, to, to pour out, to anoint with oil. Christos means to anoint with oil. Who is anointed with oil? The king is anointed with oil. Uh, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Okay? So here are the kings who are taking counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, and they're saying, we do not have to do what you tell us. We do not have to follow your rules. Uh, 
any rejecting of Christ going on in our culture today, around the world today? Kings and rulers saying, you're not the boss of us, right? Let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. Verse 4. The sitting one in the heavens laughs. Is that how you think of God? <laughs> They're down here going, we don't have to listen to you. We don't have to do what you say. And he, he, the one sitting in the heavens, he's laughing. It says he mocks them. The Lord scoffs at them. He mocks them. He makes fun of them. He's, <laughs> Let me get this right. You are going to take your stand against me. Well, that's good. I've heard some good jokes in my days, but that's got to be right at the top of the list, right? Then he will speak to them in his anger. Uh, literally, the word here for anger is, uh, um, uh, in, in his anger, he will terrify them in his, his fury. Do you see that fury word? Uh, it's, it's in his burning. It's in his burning rage. This is the father's response. They take their stand. They reject him. They reject his Christ. We don't have to listen to you. His response is first mocking them. And then he speaks to them in his burning fury. And this is what he says. As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Verse 7, the son responds, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Does that language sound familiar to you? For God so loved the world that he gave his, that whosoever believes in him shall not. Let's keep reading. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Whose nations are those? Well, they were the kings that were just taking their stand against him. Now who's are they? <laughs> who's going to rule the nations? Who's going to smite kings? The very ends of the earth is your possession. For you, the Christ, will break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earth. you, you got to get this picture. The nations say, you're not the boss of us. We take their stand against the Lord and against this Christ. And the Lord mocks them and then speaks to them in his fury. And he says, I give you everything they got. Kill them all. Kill everyone. Therefore, O kings, show discernment. Wake up. In case you missed it, that was a death threat. Right? Therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, all judge, uh, o, o judges of the earth. It's translated New American Standard. Worship the Lord with reverence. That's such a bad translation. Uh, NIV uh, nails this. Serve the Lord in fear. Recognize he's God and you're not. That was a death threat. And you better figure it out quick. You better drop to your knees. 
King yeah, James. Serve the Lord in fear. Serve the Lord in fear. Rejoice and tremble. Uh, New American Standard blows it again in verse 12. Do homage to the sun, not even called. What does it say in King James? Kiss the sun. Kiss the sun. Lest he become angry. Who? He who? The sun become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath. Whose wrath? I, I remind my students all the time. For, I, I tell them. And then I remind them. Uh, you're not saved from your sin. You're not saved from hell. You're saved from the wrath of God. And who is the administrator of the wrath of God? You're saved from Christ. You're saved from the wrath of God poured out through his son. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I'd say so. You're either with him or you're against him. Kings of the earth are taking their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his wife. Kill them all. Fill uh, the, the earth with corpses. Uh, the blood is going to be up to the bridle of the horses. Literally fill them with corpses. Is going to. Okay. Everybody hear the question? Okay. So, so how did we get here? Why is Christ the administrator of God's wrath? Uh, God has done it once. When? Noah, the flood. Um, he was sorry that he made man on the earth and he wipes them out, all of them, everyone, except for Noah, Noah and his wife, singular, not wives, <clears throat> wife singular, and Noah's three sons and their three wives. Right? Israel, uh, or not Israel, because the, 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 uh, the peoples of the earth were killing one another. Uh, wickedness, making their name great, multiplying wives, doing whatever they want, he wipes them. And then he promises uh, that he will never again do that. He will not judge. Uh, from this uh, uh, point on, man will judge man. And you're looking for the man who will judge on behalf of Christ. Or um, I'm sorry, on behalf of the Father. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. How will he repay? Through the wrath of his son. And even in Revelation 12, it says the devil has the right hand. Yeah. But he doesn't win. Oh, he doesn't win. Uh, see, see, uh, you know, this is like a, uh, we're, we're just in the warm ups. Right? Yeah. Uh, this is when both teams come out and they look good in their little warm up uniform, you know, and they can make layups and they, maybe can do some fancy dunks or something. But once the game starts, it is the biggest massacre that has ever occurred. The score is like 10 trillion to zero. <laughs> I will repeat. Uh, yeah, it's the Lord. It's Yahweh. 
Yeah. And how he repays is through his son. And so we do not take vengeance. We have been given mercy. And so we give mercy, give mercy until the Lord comes. Because Peter is going to remind believers in Second Peter that a delay in judgment does not mean there's no judgment at all. The king is coming. He's coming. Um, we have come to the place where uh, Jesus has, uh, we present Jesus in the church as your buddy, as your friend. Um, the disciple that, uh, that Jesus loved, John, when John sees the resurrected Christ, do you remember what he does right here at the beginning of the book of Revelation? He hits the dirt as a dead man in fear. And then Christ says, do not fear. The correct response was hit the dirt in fear. And Christ says, do not fear. Psalm 2, uh, kiss the son, lest he become angry, and you perish in the way for his wrath. The wrath of the son, it's translated, may soon be kindled. I, I wish they left that more literal. Ma'atat uh, is how you say this. And his wrath may be kindled just a little bit. You just get a little bit of his wrath. It doesn't take much of Christ's wrath wipe off the planet every living thing. Just a little. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. How are you blessed? You're no longer under the wrath of God. You are no longer an enemy of God. You now have peace with God. God's wrath is no longer upon you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only God's son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You are the recipient of eternal life. Turn over to, uh, uh, go to, uh, to Psalm 1, let's just do the Psalms first. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Psalm 149. Turn to Psalm 149. It seems like right now, God would be looking down here, and the brass would be kind of a lot. So is he restraining himself right now, waiting Oh, yeah. He is patient. How patient? He's more patient than you thought. He's long-suffering. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving. Uh, what are the saints gathered around the throne saying? How much more is this we going to take, Lord? How much more? How many more uh, of these believers do they have to kill? How many more? How much more injustice has to be on the earth? How much more? Kill them all. He begins to bring Israel back here. Christ's return here. It's not going to be totally made right until here. Check. Thank uh -huh. 
Yeah. Uh, who did God make his promises to? Israel. Israel. Who rejected him? Israel. So who uh, was brought in? You were. Uh, does that mean that he's not going to keep his promises? No. This is how Paul's argument goes. If God won't keep his promises to the people he gave his promises to, what makes you think he will keep his promises to you? No, he's faithful. He will cause them to walk in his way. And how's he going to do that? He's going to execute the, uh, the covenant judgments that he spelled out at the beginning. And to, uh, instead of turning his face from them, tearing the temple down and leaving them no place to hear, uh, to give prayers to him, uh, he is going to turn his face toward them and he is going to start to enact again the covenant judgments upon them so that they will return to the Lord. And when they return to the Lord, he will restore them from captivity and he will have compassion upon them and he will bring them back into the land which their fathers possess and you will possess it and uh, and he will rule in their midst. Right? All, this is all Old Testament language. Okay? So, that, that, sorry, just to follow on what was saying, that seven years, that's physically going to take place just in Israel? Like, what will the rest of the world the rest of the world will be watching. Okay. Uh, but, um, you can imagine now the whole world can be watching, right? Um, at this point, um, then uh, they believe in Christ. Antichrist turns his focus to, to kill them all, pursues them into the wilderness to kill them. The trumpet judgments are going to be very similar to the, uh, the judgments um, the plagues poured out uh, by Moses on Egypt to let my people go. Okay. And then you got the what? And those words are earth and that means everyone. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm yeah. So, so we're starting to we're going through the story. We're flipping on the lights. Okay, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Turn to Psalm 149. Praise the Lord and sing to the Lord a new song. And his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in his maker. And let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Um, unfortunately, that is what it reads in uh, Hebrew. But that's for Israel. Baptists don't have to dance. <laughs> uh, let them, uh, let the sons of Zion... Uh, uh, sing praises with him with the timbrel and the lyre for the Lord takes pleasure in his people he will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation let the godly ones exult in glory let them sing for joy on their beds and let the high praises of God be on their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand huh to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment that was written. For this is an honor for all of the godly ones. Praise the Lord. Do you remember Peter down there in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane? Here come the, the cohort, Roman cohort, 600 uh, soldiers. They've got their 
swords and their armor and their shields and their lanterns. And we mock Peter because, oh, bless Peter's heart, he doesn't get it. I've heard that sermon 10 trillion times. I'm going, no, Peter gets it. Bless your heart because you don't understand what Peter's doing. What Peter's saying is, Lord, I want in on this. You kill the rest of them, I got this one. And, Lord, and the Lord's response is, not yet, Peter. Not yet. It is not yet time. Right? Uh, but these godly ones are going to return with the Lord on the nations the judgment that was written. Right? With me? Turn over to Isaiah chapter 11. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Spirit of wisdom spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions according to what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips... He will slay the wicked. Do you remember that same scene back in John chapter 18? Here come the Roman sol uh, soldiers, the Roman cohort. Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? He says, uh, he, Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? They say, Jesus the Nazarene. He says, Ehweh, I am. And when he says this, what happens to 600 soldiers? They hit the dirt. Uh, the, the language there is a, they, they fall down as dead men. It's a choke. They're, they're, they're in a fight for their lives. And the negotiations begin. I love this passage. The Lord says, let me explain how this is going down. This is Klingler's version, right? Little liberty, but not much. Uh, I come with you, these men go free, or I kill them. We'll take the deal. Right, and so he goes with them. He didn't have to go with them. He could have wiped them out in a heartbeat. But he did. Um, this is just a microcosm, a small display of what's coming. All who oppose him, he will slay them with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. And righteousness will be a belt about his loins, uh, and uh, faithfulness a belt about his waist. That's Isaiah, that's the armor of Christ introduced. It continues in Isaiah 59, verse 15, if you want to write that down. Flip over to Isaiah 63. Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah sees this vision and asks the question, who is this that comes from Edom? with his garments of glowing colors from Basra. Glowing colors. It's probably uh, uh, translated crimson, with garments of crimson. The one who is majestic in his peril. In other words, here's this the picture of this one. Uh, Isaiah asked the question, who is this who comes from, from Edom 
dressed in a king's robe, drenched red with blood. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Christ responds. Ask, Isaiah asked the question, why is your apparel red? Why, why is your, your, your robe red in blood? Your garments like the one that treads the winepress. The son responds, I have trodden the wine trough alone. And from the peoples, there was no man with me. And I trod them in my anger, and I trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. For my year of redemption has come. And I looked, and there was no one to help. And I was astonished that there was no one to uphold me. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. And I trod down the peoples in my anger, and I made them drunk in my wrath. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. This is hardly the picture of Jesus that we've been presented. I remember one time we were sitting in class, and Dr. Pentecost, you know, he had, he just had a way of saying things that just made such an impact. And he said, uh, we're talking, he was in the Gospels, he was talking about Christ's, uh, when, when Christ was, was being judged, uh, when he was being tried, and they were striking the Lord. And Dr. P said, make no mistake, those who struck him will pay. The story becomes very somber, very quick. Recognizing that before, before salvation, God's wrath was not on your sin. You'll hear sometimes said in the church, God loves uh, the, uh, uh, the sinner, hates the sin. No, God's wrath is not on your sin. God's wrath is on you, his enemy. Unless you take refuge in Christ, it will not go well. And so, how are people supposed to believe the gospel? How will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone's sent? Who's carrying the gospel today? You are. How will they hear unless you tell them? You can live it out all you want, but tell them. Yes, live it out, but tell them. Because they are under the wrath of God. This is what's going to happen here. Okay? Psalm 110, Psalm 2, Isaiah 63, Psalm 149, turn back to, to uh, Revelation chapter 19 again. I saw the heavens open, and behold, a white horse. 1911. 1911. Significance of the white horse. The white horse is... Uh, in the Roman culture, the white, the white horse is what the, the winning general rode out of the battle on. 
<laughs> he's not riding out of the battle. He's riding into the battle. This is this deal's done. He who sat upon him is called faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes were a flame of fire, imagery which comes from Ezekiel's view of God. Um, on his head, many crowns. And he has a name written upon himself when no, which no one knows except himself. And it's his cloth, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Isaiah 63. His name is called the Word of God, John 1.1. 1, 1. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses, Psalm 149. And from his mouth, a sharp sword, Isaiah 11, that he might smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron, Psalm 2. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, Isaiah 63 again. And on his robe and on his thigh, a name was written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Nebuchadnezzar comes to realize this. All of the kings of all of the nations throughout the book of Daniel come to realize that the God of Israel, the Christ of Israel, is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They are not. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that they may eat the flesh of kings. Remember those kings who take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed one? Here they are. Turns out it does not go well for them. Eat the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men. Yes, they weren't mighty enough. The flesh of horses and those who sit upon them in the flesh of all men, both free and slaves, great and small. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized. And with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. They take their stand together against the Lord and against his Christ. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the one who sat upon the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Um, there's a lot of injustice going on in the world today. There always has been. It's nothing new. I don't know, it started at the fall. Ever since Cain killed Abel, there has not been justice on earth. But it's coming. It's coming in the person of Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Christ says, I am the righteousness of God. Um, why do we need to know the book of Revelation? Why do we need to know about end times? Why do we need to know, to know about prophecy? Because if we don't know about end times, if we don't know about uh, the return of Christ, if we don't know about Old Testament prophecy, we have a very imbalanced understanding of Christ. 
make no mistake, he was the suffering servant. Amen. Um, there's a conflict uh, when I think about the return of Christ. In some, some ways, I think, amen, hurry up, come Lord Jesus, right? And the times when I'm not thinking very clearly. <laughs> come on, Jesus, come kill them all. I'm ready. <laughs> But I forget to remember that um, the time for people to repent and be saved will come to an end. And so until that time, we have a job to do. We have, we've been entrusted with a great faith um, to proclaim through our testimony let me say that again. You don't. Let me make this very clear. You don't have a testimony, so let's not say that. Okay? Your testimony and my testimony is the same testimony that Paul had. I pass on to you that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was raised according to the Scriptures, and he is returning to give life to the dead according to the Scriptures. That is our testimony. We share in that testimony. Um, and so we've been entrusted with the testimony of the apostles and prophets to live it out in our world to let people know. Because he's coming. And this is why we're here. Because what's coming is not. Yeah, the. Uh, the uh, you know the song, this is the day. Do you know where that comes from? We sing it like, this is the day. This is the day we eat donuts before Sunday school. This is the day. That ain't what he's talking about. That is not what he's talking about. This comes out of the Psalms. Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day, what is the day the Lord has made? This is the day that Christ was crucified for our sins. It's the day the Lord has made. Uh, a stone of offense, a stone, a, a rock to stumble over. That the Lord has uh, had his Christ crucified Israel has rejected that, and now the gospel will go to the Gentiles. This is the day the Lord has made. It's a bittersweet day. Are you with me? Let us rejoice and be. And so also is the return of Christ. It's a bittersweet day. Um, you know people that aren't believers. Family members aren't believers. Um, friends that are enemies that aren't believers. Um, what do you do about that? The first thing you do is you pray. Um, they can't save themselves um, unless the Spirit moves in their heart to convict them of sin. They will not believe. So you pray, and then you share the gospel. 
And if they don't believe, what do you do? You keep praying you and you keep sharing. Till when? Even okay, so they totally reject. Then what? You keep praying and you keep sharing the gospel until they take their last breath. You think? Okay. All right. So the return of Christ. This is the uh, this is the beginning of making things right. It's not the end of making things wrong. Okay. Uh, good news that Paul talks about in First Corinthians chapter fifteen is not just in those first six or seven verses. The good news runs throughout the whole chapter. The consummation of the good news is when death is destroyed for once and for all, right? No more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more suffering, right? And Christ is um, uh, uh, gives all authority back to the Father, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Well, that's good news. But God is in the process of making it right. Israel was was created to be a light to the Gentiles, and we'll talk about this uh, next week. During this time, they will be a light to the nations. Okay? They're going to do their part. It's all going to go as planned, says the Lord. Make sense? Um, one thing I would add is that uh, whenever uh, Dr. Pentecost pointed this out to us as well, um, every single time in every epistle that there is an exhortation to the church or to the individual um, to live a godly life, within a verse or two on either side of that exhortation is the reminder Christ has come. That can either be an encouragement or a warning. You'll be held accountable. Christ is coming. Endure. Hang in there. Christ is coming. Um, for those who are living faithfully, it's an encouragement. For those who are not living so faithfully, it is a warning to get back to living faithfully. What Paul's doing with Timothy and 2 Timothy. Um, return. And you will be a vessel of use, uh, an honorable vessel to be used by the master. Does that make sense? What questions do you have? Mike. Return of Christ only takes place after Jewish people. The return of Christ to the earth to establish his kingdom only takes place after Israel repents. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starts in verse 4, Paul reminds the Thessalonians, by the way, Paul wasn't with the Thessalonians for very long. And he had taught them the Old Testament scriptures, he had taught them Daniel, and he was teaching them about eschatology. Some of us have been in church our whole life, we don't know anything about Daniel, anything about the Old Testament scriptures, or anything about the return of Christ. Uh, this is what he's teaching them right from the beginning. Do you not remember when I was with you, I was telling you these things? Uh, that before it comes, before the return of Christ comes, before the day of the Lord comes, uh, uh, the apostasia will happen first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who takes his place uh, in the temple, and then Christ will return. He's explaining these things to them. Um, we are so accustomed to um, 
feel good Sunday school something. It's time to grow up. Get serious about it. We either believe it or we don't. Christ is coming or he's not. If he's not returning, if there's no resurrection from the dead, I got a lot better things to do than be here with you people on Sunday. I'm serious. If Christ is not returning, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if there's no eternal life, I'm going to the golf course and then I'm going fishing. And because look, I don't have too many more days to swing a golf club where it's not going to, it already hurts and it's fleeing fast. I got a lot. I'm going to go buy boats and cars and, and I'm going to, well, I'm not going to buy horses because I don't want to go broke so fast that I don't get to enjoy <laughs> anything else. You see my point? But if this is true, that changes everything. Changes everything. I have another question. Good. Yeah, you're out there in the dirt long enough, and it won't make you won't be able to tell the difference. Yeah, you'll be sort of free. Yeah, you're not getting you're not getting out. Of it. Uh, he bought you from the dust. He'll pull you right back out of the dust. And uh, here's the good news, Mike. Uh, we'll be better looking. Is that possible? <laughs> I can't wait to look you in the mirror. Some of you old people remember that song. That, that, that song. Who sang it? Does I get better looking each day? No, you will have a resurrected body. Uh, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more suffering. Can I come back at 35? You can come. I, well, I want to come back with the wisdom of. Well, I don't want to come back with the. More wisdom. Forget it. I, yeah, I need more wisdom than that. I was going to say the wisdom of it, and I'm going, how am I going to finish that? Because I don't have much yet. So. Um, the mark of the beast. Uh, the mark of the beast. Good question. <clears throat> what about the, when does the mark of the beast, when is someone marked for the first time in this story? You better go way, 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 way back here. Genesis. Cain. Cain. He was marked. Right. Um, um, go to Genesis. Uh, go to Genesis uh, chapter. He's worried. Uh, he said, um, um, uh, You cultivate the ground. And Cain said, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, the Lord is, has. Uh, this day driven me from the face of the ground. I'm in 414. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer, and it will be that whoever comes uh, upon me shall and finds me shall kill me. Um, so the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills uh, Cain, vengeance will be sevenfold. The Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should play him. The first time a sign is put on the bad guys. 
what's going on there. So we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll pick that up uh, when we get to, uh, to Revelation. Okay? Uh, this, this, none of, none of the stuff that is in Revelation begins in Revelation. It's all told throughout the story. Good. Okay. Yes, Roger. Great question. Uh, five minute. Uh, quick answer. Okay. Um, Israel um, is is just is wiped off the map as a nation. Um, really, beginning around 700 BC. Um, Israel, uh, the northern kingdom is hauled off. The southern kingdom is basically destroyed. Sennacherib's army, Sennacherib is the uh, general of, of Assyria. His army surrounds Jerusalem and Hezekiah the king cries out to the Lord and he's given a stay of execution. Okay. From this time on, the kingdom of Israel is the city of Jerusalem and that's it. Okay. Um, Fast forward about 100 years, so that was 701, 605, now Nebuchadnezzar comes in three waves, 605, 597, 586, and destroys Israel. They're all hauled off into exile. So from basically, you know, 586, from basically 600 BC until the 1940s, if you looked on a map, you would not find the word Israel. Well, um, during the time of Christ, right after the time of Christ, 100, 200, 300 years after Christ, now the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles. The apostles are dead. The church is run mostly by Gentiles. How do the Gentiles understand these things? They read First Peter, for example, where Peter is calling the people he's writing to a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, using Old Testament passages that related to Israel, and in their mind, applying them to the church. Okay. And so they assumed that the church had replaced Israel. That those passages that were in the Old Testament talking about Israel were being fulfilled in the church. Because Israel wasn't on the map. Because Israel wasn't on the map for by this time six, seven, eight, nine hundred years, a thousand years, uh, and so on. It's not until the late 1800s, think about that, the late 1800s that, the, that a movement in the church uh, begins to read the Old Testament scriptures and entertain the thought that maybe Israel is talking about Israel, the people, and not uh, the church. Uh, and so um, we have been forced to read the scriptures more carefully. And in the reading of the scriptures more careful, I think history has forced us to read the scriptures more careful. As soon as Israel's back on the map, you're going, um, what's going on here? Right? What just happened? Um, Paul's words start to make sense. Uh, but we have been conditioned for 2,000 years in the church to not be careful readers of the scriptures. Uh, but if we are careful readers of the scriptures, 
all of a sudden, what Paul's saying actually makes sense. What the gospel writers are saying makes sense. And what they're saying aligns with Old Testament scriptures and looks forward to this future restoration of Israel and this kingdom. So if you do not see in the scriptures a future restoration for Israel, there's no need for a millennial kingdom. Um, when, you, when we go through the, the seminary process, every student has to wrestle with this. Jeremiah 31, uh, the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 through the end of the chapter was one of the passages that just convinced me that there's no way the church is Israel. Um, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It's uh, not like the covenant which I made with them in the days which uh, I took took them by the hand and brought them out of the, out of the hand of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Um, he talks about the sun and the moon and the stars and the waves on the sea. And he says, if this fixed order, sun and the moon, the stars, the waves, departs from before me, so Israel shall cease from being a nation before me forever. And the word nation there, you can't, the church is not a nation. Um, all of a sudden, scriptures make sense. But we'll continue to talk about it. So keep, keep reading. Uh, I told the, the men, uh, I'll tell you, uh, anytime you have a chance to ride in, in, the, in, your, uh, in your car or, or just around the house, there's a great website. It's called BibleGateway.com, and they have the Bible online, audio Bible online. Pick a version you like uh, and listen to it. It is much more effective for most people than reading it. You hear the story, okay? And it, it kind of wipes out all of the verse numbers. And I, I, there may be a setting where you can even get rid of the chapter headings. And once you hear, for example, the story of John all at once without any interruptions, you go, whoa, that actually makes sense, right? So, so listen to the Bible better than even read. Okay? Let me pray for us. We're done. Lord, thanks for our time today. Oh, thank you for your patience for us, your mercy upon us, that, that even while we were enemies, Christ died for us as well, uh, that you've been patient, patient towards our disobedience through the ministry of your spirit. You have convicted each of us of our sins, caused us to believe in your son. And so now your wrath is not on us. Help us to be found faithful to represent that mercy well for those around us. That's our prayer. Thank you for uh, this time together in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Y'all.